You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. On today's Viva podcast, we'll be discussing the use of lasers in soft tissue. With us is Dr. Scott Benjamin, an expert on the topic, arguably, as I mentioned in previous episodes, the brightest and most knowledgeable person you can talk to when it comes to dental lasers. Dr. Benjamin is in private practice in upstate New York, is the chairman of the ADA Standards Committee Working Group on Dental Lasers, a past president of the Academy of Laser Dentistry, and is the technology editor of the Compendium. Scott, it's great to have you back on Dental Talk. Thank you very much for the invitation, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. So what are the most common soft tissue laser procedures? Basically, anything that we can do with a scalpel can be done with a laser. And additionally, we can do a variety of other things. When I incorporated my first laser into my practice 20-some years ago, I incorporated it for one and one reason alone. And that was to enable laser-assisted scaling and root planing to facilitate having the soft tissue reunite back to the um, hard tissue. And, um, and we've had phenomenal, phenomenal results in my practice, as much as taking pockets that are six, seven, eight millimeters deep and converting them into a healthy sulcus of less than one millimeter. And the idea of using that is to me is the most valuable thing we can do because I haven't found any other way to accomplish that goal. Um, even with more invasive surgery, I haven't been able to get the same type of outcomes. Pocket decontamination as an adjunct to root planing and scaling is something that can be done with no other modality other than a laser to create an environment that's going to facilitate the healing, the reattachment of the soft tissue back to the dentition itself, being able to literally reduce a pocket from six, seven, eight millimeters into a healthy sulcus of, of less than three. And we do that routinely in our practice. A very another common procedure that is being done with lasers are things like phrenectomy and soft tissue augmentation. I can actually perform a phrenectomy in my practice with my soft tissue lasers in less than five minutes, routinely with a minimal amount of local anesthetic or oftentimes with just topical itself. Fibroma removals. Any type of thing that can be done with a scalpel can also be performed with a laser. And more importantly, we can control the environment better with this, minimizing bleeding and facilitate the healing process. Right. Could you specifically go into the pocket uh, depth of, uh, reduction using a laser? Like, Go over the procedure with, it, with our listeners. What do you actually do after scaling and root planing? Or just tell us the, the whole protocol. Well, the whole protocol or the whole concept of using a laser as an adjunct to scaling and root planing is that we want to decontaminate the, the, the periodontal pocket and create an environment to facilitate that reattachment. So the first thing we need to do is making sure that the root structure is as clean as we can possibly get it using conventional instrumentation, using ultrasonics to, to remove the calculus and the debris from the root structure itself, trying to decontaminate the root surface and leaving the cementum intact. Then having the soft tissue laser, such as an NDAG laser or a high-powered 970-980 nanometer laser, to in turn go in and to to be absorbed into the soft tissue to inactivate the bacteria and to create bleeding. So you have healing by angiogenesis with the idea that creating the environment that's going to facilitate healing is very important. Understanding the composition of the bacteria is very important. 
bacteria is approximately 90% water. And so having a, having a wavelength or the energy that's going to be highly absorbed into water becomes very, very important. Unfortunately, the 810 diode lasers and those in that range are not absorbed into water enough to say so, only about 3%. And so for their effectiveness in this procedure really is not anywhere near as high as it should be, which is part of the reason that the adaptation and the outcomes that many of the clinicians are seeing are not what they're expecting because they aren't really using the appropriate device. The idea is, again, to create that environment so you have the reattachment procedure reoccur by angiogenesis, healing by secondary intention to, to in turn um, reunite the soft tissue back to the heart tissue. That's sort of a, a one or two minute overview of, of the procedure. But it's again, it's, it's all about creating the environment to facilitate that word that commonly hasn't been taught in dental school today, which is heal. Okay, so the dental hygienist does the scaling and root planing. Who does the laser work? Does the hygienist it, do it? It, it after the patient comes back when they're finished with the routine scaling and replaning, or does the dentist do it? Ideally, it should be done by the hygienist. However, there are a few states, there's about 10 in the country that presently do not allow hygienists to use lasers, which is unfortunately holding back um, the access to care for many of the individuals, because obviously if it has to be performed by a dentist, Therefore, the cost of care goes up dramatically and the access to care goes down tremendously. And ideally, and in, in about 40 states, hygienists are allowed to perform this procedure. Now, the goal is not to remove tissue. The goal is to inactivate the bacteria and to create an environment that's going to facilitate the healing. The goal of the laser is literally to have the laser beam penetrate into the soft tissue and inactivate the bacteria. Bacteria, again, is is about 90% um, contained in water. And once we get the temperature of that tissue of our, or that microorganism, whether it's a bacteria or virus or whatever, above 50 degrees Celsius, it will not be able to regenerate. So the idea is to inactivate the bacteria and to create an environment so that the laser is aimed at the soft tissue with the goal of not removing the soft tissue as much as it is to inactivate the bacteria and facilitate that environment that will allow healing to occur. And then the tissue being pushed up into close proximally. Now, one of the biggest misnomers that's out there is that the laser is going to sterilize the periodontal pocket. Mm -hmm. That is a complete fallacy. The laser is going to reduce the bacteria flora upwards of, of about 90%. That is not sterile. The idea is to create an environment that hopefully the immune system, if the clinician desires to throw in some additional antimicrobials such as arrestin, to become part of that blood clot to help maintain that low bacteria count during the healing is another way to help facilitate that environment and that healing process to occur over the period of time, as it takes about 21 to 28 days for that tissue to regenerate. The scaling and root planing and the laser utilization should be done at the same appointment with the idea that once we have the root surface cleaned as adequately as we can, trying to create the environment that in turn is going to incorporate back into that. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of protocols out there that are being taught today that have no scientific background to them mm -hmm. and have no rationalization, which is another reason there's been a major pushback among, um, among the academic environment. And it's not a pushback against the laser, 
as it is as a pushback against these protocols that have literally no scientific or even common sense incorporated into them. Who's making you know, up the who's making the protocols? The manufacturer of the laser? Oftentimes it's it's the clinician on the podium. I see. And whether whether they are in turn just dictating what the laser manufacturer has told them to say. A study that came out in um Jay Perio back in February of I believe two thousand fourteen actually stated that the eight ten laser does not inactivate bacteria. Um, when that came out, my phone rang off the hook with various clinicians telling me that, the, did you see that stupid study? And I thought I thought the study was excellent. And it didn't say lasers don't kill bacteria. It said the 810 nanometer wavelength doesn't. Right. 810 is not absorbed into water. Bacteria is 90% water. Why would I expect it to have an effect on the bacteria? Right. And again, this this is part of the problem that we run into today. And, and again, the major differences between lasers is the wavelength, the power, and how to control it. So you, using the proper wavelength and the proper laser and controlling it properly, if you did a study on the same patient, let's say they had general calculus and gingivitis throughout their mouth, and you did one arch with standard scaling and replaning, and then the other arch scaling and replaning and laser therapy. Has that ever been done to make the comparison been, as far as healing? There have, been, there have been various studies out there that have shown a great effect of that, oftentimes referred to as a split mouth study. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem is, is the amount of variables that you're trying to obtain in that, in that situation are very hard to control. And there are so many variables involved in, in periodontal care and periodontal healing that, again, the amount of studies that are there are, I don't want to say are limited, but, you know, there are, you know, been over a hundred and some studies that have been published on this through the years. And most of them are referring either to the 970, 980 wavelengths or to the NDAG wavelengths because of their role. Now, the NDAG wavelength is not as absorbed as well as the 970 but it has a huge amount of power to compensate for its lack of absorption, mm -hmm. upwards of a thousand watts of power per pulse for a very, very short amount of time. So what, so what kind of laser would you recommend to our listeners if they really wanted to focus the use of a laser as uh, I'd say an adjunct again, but as part of the hygiene therapy where at the same visit where they do the scaling root planing, they use the laser. What's a good solid laser, good model. Can you recommend one, one or two? Well, again, the the two types of lasers that will work very well in that environment is one is an NDAG laser that is fairly expensive. You're talking anywhere because the, the ones that are on the market today are somewhere from $75,000 up and somewhere in that range. Uh, and the other is a high-powered 970-980 diode laser. So, again, in the NDAG lasers, you have the Lightwalker by Photana, the Millennium Periolase. In the 970, 980 wavelength presently, the only one that really is that is the dense Blycerona Cero laser that has upwards of 14 watts of power and being able to control the, the duty cycle, the pulse duration, and so that you have what's, a very- What's the cost of that one? That one usually has a street price of somewhere between 7500 dollars and, and, and $8,500. Street price? And, <laughs> it sounds like we're, we're working in the neighborhood where we're selling drugs out there. Um, well, well, the idea of what commonly, as we know, lasers, as, as all dental materials we buy today, they have a price that their manufacturer suggested retail, 
mm-hmm. and then what the dealers actually will sell the product to be depending on your relationship with the dealer right you know and that's and that's the the, the idea of of why i refer to it as is the street price Right, because again, it's weird. you know. I don't know this price, but street price—that's that's funny to hear that when you were talking about dental lasers. But uh, throw but again, throw a little humor into a podcast never hurt anybody. Yeah, um, but and again, but that's exactly it. You know, well, you know, street price is what the dentist can truly expect to be paid. The dentist today with a soft tissue laser mm-hmm. is ac- accessing subgingival restorations to have the appropriate recontouring of the soft tissue to give you the outcomes that you're looking for. And again, today with digital impressions being more and more common every day, the idea of being able to visualize your margins, making sure that the tissue stays out of the way and being able to control the bleeding and also the cervical fluid from contaminating your your bonding agents. That is probably the most common thing that is done by a dentist today. Um, also treating things like aptus ulcers, herpetic lesions, and the pocket decontamination. Those are probably the most common procedures that are that are being done um, with the idea that I use a laser on well over 50% of my patients every day. And it depends on what the need of that patient is of which device I'm using to get the type of outcomes that we're looking for. Right. So you're talking and about mul- you have multiple soft tissue lasers in your office. I have multiple soft tissue lasers, um, but more importantly, I, it's a matter of what is the treatment objective and what is the device that is going to give me that in the most efficient workflow in the most efficient manner possible. And so something that is, that is simple and straightforward, a little troughing, something that is, that is a battery-operated device that I have the power and the wavelength I need to sit on the delivery unit becomes very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. If I, again, if I'm looking to, to do something along the line of stimulating healing, then I want to use a different type of wavelength or a different different type of device to stimulate the healing within the tissue itself. Because we're going back to the basic premise that lasers only do two things. They heat something up or stimulate a response. Mm-hmm. And so my whole goal is to get the tissue to the appropriate temperature if I'm trying to inactivate bacteria, if I'm trying to get hemostasis, if I'm trying to remove tissue, or as my goal, to, again, in turn, to go in and to stimulate a healing response within the tissue itself, oftentimes referred to as photobiomodulation. Right, which you're going to be doing a special podcast on that subject. Can you elaborate on the differences in the laser wavelengths in a little bit more detail used for soft tissue procedures? Well, the idea is understanding the composition of soft tissue is the first thing that a clinician really needs to know and understand. There's, again, a lot of information out there that can be considered misleading. For example, you're going to be told by many laser manufacturers that that this wavelength, regardless of what the, uh, what the wavelength is in the near-infrared range, which is basically from 700 to about 1,400 nanometers, is highly absorbed in a hemoglobin, oxyhemoglobin, and melanin. Yet when you start looking at the tissue, blood is 90% water, only 1.4% hemoglobin, and in turn, soft tissue is only about 5% perfused with blood. So even though it may be highly absorbed in that, the relevance to how that functions becomes very, very unimportant. So, so, important. so the claims could be misleading when you read about some of these lasers that are being sold. 
Exactly. They're they're not so much inaccurate right. as much as they are misleading. It's the relevance. Because it's the relevance of that because again, mm-hmm. you know, these the near infrared lasers are very highly absorbed in those in those materials, but the concentration of those materials in the tissue itself is so minimal that it's really um, insignificant, which is different than if I was doing tattoo removal, how highly it's absorbed in the pigment of that tattoo, that would be a very highly relevant, you know, concern as a clinician. So, so going back to laser wavelengths for the uh, soft tissue treatments that you do in your office, you have several different types of soft tissue lasers, right, that operate at different wavelengths that you use for, for your main procedures, correct? That is correct. With the idea that if I have very fibrous tissue, hemostasis is not probably a great concern. Right. As because again, it doesn't have a lot of bleeding or a lot of 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 hemorrhaging associated with it. Meanwhile, if I have an inflamed granulation tissue, then I'm trying to control it. Then a hemostasis becomes a primary concern, which is why understanding what your treatment objective is. An erbium YAG laser, like the Photon Light Walker is excellent at removing soft tissue. It does it so efficiently that the the hemostasis that goes with it is minimal. The 970 diodes and all the diodes are very good at having hemostasis, but with that hemostasis comes collateral tissue damage and how you can control that collateral tissue damage becomes becomes a very important relevance. So it's all about having the control to get the outcomes that you're trying to get. Going back to the the basic procedure is, what are the three questions a clinician needs to ask? First, what is my treatment objective? Secondly is, where do I want to get that laser energy to? And the third thing is, what do I want that laser energy to do when it gets there? Mm -hmm. Okay, so those those are the things that the dentist has to understand fully before they make their purchase. And they may need to buy more than one soft tissue laser. And once they get used to the workflow, they, they'll know which exactly to pick up at the right time to do the procedure they're looking to do. And that's it exactly, is to literally look and understand the goal, mm-hmm. where they want to get the energy to, and what is the appropriate amount of energy, and what is the, as far as wavelength and how it's going to be delivered to obtain, to obtain your treatment objective. Right. And uh, my last question, actually, for this podcast was what is the role of the laser in scaling root planing? But we kind of covered that, unless you Mm -hmm. want to elaborate that a a little further. I look at that as the most valuable role that's out there. And and in the states where it's not allowed to be done by the hygienist Mm -hmm. is doing major disservice to the the patients in that state. You practice in New York, right? I practice in in upstate New York. That's correct. What are the laws there regarding the hygienist and lasers? They're silent with the idea that in the state of New York, they don't look at modalities. They look at, they look at scope of practice and any modality that you use, if you use it in a safe and an effective manner within your scope of practice, the modality you use is irrelevant. Now there's other states such as the state of Florida that states that a hygienist is not allowed to use a laser in any capacity um, in the performance of her duty. We find that in the states where hygienists are not allowed to use a laser, the later use laser utilization, especially soft tissue laser utilization, 
is less than what it is on the other states. I would assume because, that. Mm -hmm. yeah, with the idea that doctors that are looking at it and know that that is not going to be something that, you know, that, that is easily going to fit into their workflow. And in the states where a hygienist cannot perform a laser procedure, the scheduling and the workflow becomes very, very important. Having the hygienist do what's within her scope of practice, and then in turn at the end of that procedure or when they're finished, to have the, the clinician, the dentist immediately come in and follow it up is a scheduling nightmare. Um, but it is something that can be accomplished with appropriate planning and training. To get a return on investment, other than the fact that, of course, clinically, you're going to get a better result by using a laser integrated into your hygiene uh, treatment, as a return on investment, is there a billable procedure if the dentist has to do it separate than the hygienist, if that requires a separate, on, office, a separate office visit? It depends on the procedure that's being done. I'm talking about the follow-up to scaling and root planning. With the idea that if the dentist is staying within the pocket itself and is using it strictly as an adjunct to scale it in root planning, then there is no additional reimbursement for that. If the, if the dentist is, is severing the attachment and going deeper into the tissue and making a release incision, then it could possibly be billed for as a, um, as a Widman type of flap or whatever. Remember, we don't bill for the technology we use. We bill for the type of procedure that's being form, performed. Right. And that's, and that's the thing that's very important. We don't bill differently if we're using a digital impression or if we're using a polyvinyl. In the same way when we're using a laser, we're not billing differently if we're using a scalpel versus a laser to obtain the outcomes. So let me ask you this, Scott, before we wrap up this podcast. So if a dentist was looking to get into soft tissue lasers, and an entry-level laser, what could you recommend one that, or a couple of models that would be the most versatile, that would cover the procedures, at least some of the procedures we talked about, um, that would be helpful most, for our listeners? The most versatile soft tissue laser that's on the market today is the Cero Laser Advanced Plus by um, Densply Serona. Mm -hmm. That laser itself not only has a phenomenal soft tissue laser that is excellent for pocket decontamination and surgical procedures, but also incorporates a 660 wavelength that is very good for the photobiomodulation um, procedures related to any sort of surgical procedure to enhance the healing process that goes on so with that. that what, would, what actual soft tissue procedures can that do? Basically, that can do almost all soft tissue procedures. What a fiber-based laser, and that is a fiber-based laser, are not good at are treating things like dysplasia, cancers, and things along that line, um, which, again, is something that the normal general dentist would Wouldn't not do anyway. Perform. Yeah, they're not going to do that anyway. What does that unit cost? Street, well, again, street the, price. <laughs> well, again, that sells for somewhere in the 7500 7, to 8500 8, range. Okay, so that's not, that's not that bad. Yeah, and the return on investment on that, literally, you're talking weeks. Wow. When you start thinking about a phrenectomy being reimbursed for five minutes of time at $500, it doesn't take many of those procedures to, re, you know, to, to, to recoup that type of a investment. One of the biggest mistakes that clinicians make is they buy an inexpensive laser that has a minimal amount of procedures that it does. Right. And they find out that the, their expectations are, are not being met. And, and unfortunately, they stop using it for what it does do well. And They don't use it at all. They just get away from lasers. They don't use it at all. 
Right. And, and that has been one of the biggest detriments of lasers as a whole. Having a laser that in turn enables you to, to do the procedures you want to do today mm-hmm. and to grow into the, the procedures. And again, using a laser is like climbing a ladder. Once you get a baseline, you're going to climb up and you're going to do more and more and more advanced procedures as your, as your knowledge level and your ability to read the tissue. Once you understand the composition of the tissue and the outcomes that that light energy causes when it interacts with the tissue, the literally the possibilities are almost... Right, the laser becomes your friend. It's like a handpiece. You pick up the handpiece and you put the right burr on and you go to work. Oh, and, that's, and that's exactly it. It's a matter of what treatment modality is going to give me the best outcomes with the, with the least amount of aggravation. Yeah, this is great. Um, so uh, we're going to wrap up this podcast now, Scott. Great information. And we're going to have you on another podcast, and you're going to be talking about the use of lasers in hard tissue. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, as always, Phil, it's a pleasure working with you. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>